Hi, those Happy Places listeners. Before we get to the episode, we wanted to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Welcome back to Theme Parks 100, a summer school series all about the basics of theme parks from your friends at Those Happy Places. I'm Alice White. And I'm Buddy Duquesne. Buddy, I am so excited that we are back and doing another episode of Theme Parks 100. Yeah, you know, we got delayed for uh, about a week there. Uh, You know, things did not work out. My voice was completely gone last week. So it is good to be back to have a reasonably okay speaking voice and to return to our favorite topic in the entire world, which is, of course, theme parks, rides, attractions, literature. And on this episode, uh, we are here to discuss the nature of of theme park lands. That's right. So, buddy, what exactly is a land? A miserable little pile of secrets, Alice. Uh, But (laughs) enough talk, enough preamble. Uh, Let's jump into it, because I think a land is, as a term, one of the more interesting things that we lined up for Theme Parks 100, because we can't actually, like, Webster's Dictionary defines land as this one. It's just not possible. Right. Because if we were to Webster's Dictionary define land, it would have pretty much nothing to do with a definition that we would use in theme parks and talking about theme parks. Because land is, a theme park land is not a patch of, uh, a patch of earth. It's not a, uh, necessarily a, and like an area of ground that can be like <laughs> measured and like quantified. Um, although it's not, it's also not, not that right? It, right. it is, it is something that takes up space. It is, you know, a, a, a patch of ground. Um, but it's more than that. It's different than, than just that. Yeah. A, a theme park land is definitely kind of its own thing. It, uh, the word land is very idiosyncratic to theme parks in the way that we're using it. And the word land is also kind of proprietary to the Walt Disney Company um, because they're kind of the pioneers of having the various differently themed areas of their theme park be called blank land. Um, you know, Frontierland, Tomorrowland, Adventureland, um, Fantasyland, and and of course Disneyland itself being called Disneyland just adds to the confusion around the term. Um, but then again, when you and I say, "Oh yeah, my favorite land at a theme park is whatever uh, New Orleans Square," for example, uh, we all know what we're talking about. Like, what is a land? Well, it's kind of you know. An area at a theme park that is themed to a certain thing, Uh, be it an aesthetic, a property uh, themed to a certain kind of story that is being told in that land. Um, 
Well, and yeah. yeah, I mean, like that that's a pretty simple definition, actually. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Honestly, let's just wrap up the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that simple, right? Because there are lands at the Disneyland Resort. And then there are also like themed areas like mini lands um, at other theme parks. And we might still call them lands because we like that word. Um, but for example, Universal Studios Hollywood doesn't really have lands. Lands are not actually necessary to the equation when we're talking about theme parks. Because Universal right. Studios Hollywood is set up quite differently. Right. Universal Studios Hollywood has really two sections of the park. You've got the upper lot and the lower lot. And they are separated by three really long escalators that bring you <laughs> uh, from the upper part of the park to the lower part of the park. And those sections of the park have smaller sections within them that are themed to certain universal properties. Um, but they are small enough and not super well-defined as far as borders go that it's kind of hard to call them lands with one notable exception um, being the Wizarding World of Harry Potter which has a literal gate and a literal yeah. wall that separates it and could be very well considered its own land. Yeah, and, and Super Nintendo Land, which will be uh, completed not long after the recording of this episode, I think sometime next year, um, is also going to have its own kind of threshold and will probably definitely qualify under the definition of land that we're trying to establish here. Sure. Um, but is but is that boundary, is, is a boundary, is a threshold important to something being considered a land? I think that actually a threshold and a boundary is kind of an important part of calling something a land. Uh, you should be able to know the difference between one land and another and even if you're not drawing like a hard line or building a wall or a fence or a bridge, uh, there should still kind of be like, a oh, yeah, this kind of belongs here and this kind of belongs over there. Actually, we got into this a little bit in a previous episode of the podcast, the land blenders uh, that Disneyland specifically has. Um, and Disneyland is definitely a unique case and an important case to the land conversation. Um, but even so, the lands at Disneyland are quite distinct, despite the fact that certain attractions tend to blend two-ish lands together. Um, I think it is kind of important to have these things, because in the case of Universal Studios Hollywood, uh, you might say that they have Springfield USA as part of the the theme park there. You might say that that is a land. But it, it kind of isn't, really. Uh, Springfield USA at Universal Studios Hollywood is the Simpsons ride, uh, as well as a couple of themed shops. They are also visible from other attractions in the area, and they also, like, back right up to other attractions that are completely different themes, Right. 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 The entrance to the tram experience, for example, is like inside what you might consider Springfield. You have to walk <laughs> through Springfield to get to the entrance to the tram, which is like a completely separate. Even the signage is different, but it's it's like squished right up next to 
all of the Springfield themed signage. Um, there's no definitive boundary really between those two things um, until you're in the queue for the tram ride. Yeah. Um, so and and then just a few feet to the south of that is the entrance to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. They're all very, very close together. Yeah. And and look, we're, this is not to be disparaging to Universal Studios Hollywood. Universal Studios Hollywood doesn't operate on a land system. It no. operates on a themed facade system that also sometimes includes similarly themed restaurants, shops, entertainment, or other right. accoutrement uh, that kind of add on to highly themed attractions. But the lower lot is is a perfect example of that, actually. Sure. I think it's actually really important that Universal Studios Hollywood specifically doesn't do um like hard separation between lands and they they don't they don't even call any of it a land there's the upper lot and the lower lot and and um, themed sub areas and themed sub areas thereof and i think that's actually really important to the theming of universal studios hollywood in general and like what the the narrative that universal studios hollywood specifically is trying to tell you about and you get it during the tram tour as well that when you're on a back lot, when you're making movies, when you are in a space where movies are being made and experiences are being generated for people, you can be on one soundstage and then turn the corner to another soundstage and it's a completely different place. So like tearing the boundaries down between themed areas actually helps the narrative that Universal Studios wants to tell. Like it, it you can be walking down the street that looks like New York and you turn the corner and you're in the Minions zone. And <laughs> that is what it's like to make a movie in Hollywood. The fact that those lines are so blurry um, and that making the distinction between them is, is like less important to Universal Studios. It's like part of the magic of Universal Studios. So a land is not the most important thing that needs to be in a theme park. A theme park doesn't need lands. It needs theming. And that is something that lands can like facilitate um, and, and do, and often do a really good job of facilitating. Um, but it, you don't need, you don't need the land. You need a story. You need yeah. like, a reason to exist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, a place where anything can happen, where any kind of story can be told, where all of your favorite properties and characters uh, kind of blend together and all exist in the same place. That is part of the identity of Universal Studios Hollywood. Yeah. Um, where, for example, Disneyland as a theme park is about that too, but is more about every kind of story kind of existing distinctly and together in the same place if that makes any sense right and i i think that's a that's a different vibe that's a different mood um and what a land does what a themed land does and i think part of why universal studios hollywood is moving into creating these lands with the wizarding world of harry potter and, and now super nintendo land what a land does though is it concentrates things together much in the way that theme parks kind of concentrate attractions together it concentrates moods aesthetics kinds of stories it concentrates characters 
and it gives them their own space in which to exist, which I think has really positive outcomes for audiences. You walk into Frontierland and the music is Old West and the floor is Old West and the buildings are Old West and you see Big Thunder Mountain and you hear the train and you see, you know, Tom Sawyer's Island in the distance and and the uh, the Mark Twain Riverboat on the rivers of America. And it all just like swirls and blends together and makes you feel transported in a way where perhaps the facade of Revenge of the Mummy, the ride being shaped a bit like uh, an Egyptian tomb uh, doesn't quite give you that, especially if right. you are able to see the facade of Jurassic World, which is shaped a bit like the like gate the to Jurassic to World. Jurassic World. <laughs> um, right. And it's and again, though, I want to emphasize that that's like not what Universal Studios Hollywood is trying to do. Yeah, They're not it is trying to create an immersive experience where you like feel like you're on the frontier or feel like you're in a, the jungle or in New Orleans or in a fantasy village like they're they're like disneyland is obviously doing and successfully doing that universal studios hollywood is like no we're going to sell you instead the experience of being in hollywood this is a where movies are the export and you can make a mummy movie and a jurassic world movie at the same time in the same place and all you need to do is turn your head and believe hard enough and yeah. that's movie magic. And that's like a different thing and no less important. In many ways, Universal Studios Hollywood is about uh, creating very specific perspective points where you can feel immersed in that point, like a camera looking at a set. Exactly. Um, where where Disneyland is perhaps a bit more three dimensional and feels a bit more like a stage um kind of moving through a, a different kind of set um and and that's interesting and, and worth discussing but we're here to talk about lands and what they mean right which is I why we're trying... not going to talk about universal studios anymore <laughs> not really not really too much um but you know what what about universal studios is uh especially in hollywood because orlando is actually a completely different case and we'll get that. we'll get there um, what about Universal Studios Hollywood's themed areas uh, keeps them from being a land? I think one of them is uh, the lack of a, a, a threshold or, or any kind of boundary. Another is also kind of like a lack of, of depth of offerings. This is actually kind of defining the term in the negative, like what isn't a land, <laughs> so that we can start to approach what a land is. Because I would say that Universal Studios' themed areas don't have enough going on in them, despite being kind of connected, um, to call them a land anyways. Like, you might just have the one attraction featuring the minions, just one Waterworld show, and they don't really have the kind of attachments that would make them into themed lands. Right. Really what they have is the one attraction and the very cool themed queue around the attraction. Because if Universal Studios does one thing really well, it's a very good themed queue. That's um, true. And a good pre-show. Um, <laughs> and they might have, they'll have that. And then you exit through the gift shop, which is also themed. And then that's it. There might be like a themed restaurant or a themed like, um, like fast dining grab-and-go kind of food next to it and very very little else 
Yeah. In, in preparation for this episode, one of my early definitions that I ran by you was that a themed land can't just be one attraction. If there's only one attraction in a themed land, then it's an area around an attraction. Uh, and the attraction doesn't need to be a ride, but having it be a ride certainly helps, I think, in this context. Mm -hmm. um, because if there's just the one thing to do there, then yeah, I don't know. I just don't feel like it graduates to being a land. Now, in that conversation, we decided that's not actually that useful of a definition. But I think having multiple things is an important component. Right. Like uh, Cars Land at California Adventure if it were just Radiator Springs Racers, despite the fact that it does have a thoroughly themed queue and that attraction is surrounded by an amazing fake rock facade, if there weren't also Luigi's Dancing Cars or whatever that attraction is called now and Mater's Junkyard Jamboree, it would feel thoroughly incomplete. Um, and... I think that is worth noting. Like, how do we make it feel like a land? Well, it's got to have, like, multiple kinds of thing to do. Uh, and I don't think multiple kinds of thing to do includes a gift shop in the exit of an attraction. You know what I right. mean? It right. needs to go and, beyond that. And it can be as simple as, and and I um, before the show, I was uh, kind of hating on um, Frontierland and Disneyland a little bit. <laughs> um, but then I remembered that, like, it, yes, it only has the one ride in it, it's just Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. But there is also a very well themed shooting gallery, which we have we've mentioned before uh, in other episodes talking about uh, like rides and experiences that are also games. Um, and there's a, a couple themed shops. And yes, the Mark, the Mark Twain Riverboat picks up in Frontierland. So you can count that as well. But Frontierland also has music and uh, even the ground has like horseshoe prints in it. And even the trash cans are, you know, designed to look a little bit more frontier themed than, say, the trash cans in Fantasyland. You know, like it is not just, oh, there's a train ride here. It's also here's a shooting gallery. People shoot things in the frontier. Here's a, here's a shop. Here's a boat. Here's a, you know, things <laughs> to look at that match the vibe of frontier yeah. land. So it, it may be the smallest and I would say weakest of the Disneyland lands, but you're right. It can't just be one ride. It's got to have something else. Yeah. And, and if it's just one ride, that's again, perfectly fine. It's just not a land. A, a ride is not a land. Um, but then again, I have been to lands that, like Frontierland, only have one ride and found myself thoroughly immersed and feeling like there was enough going on. There was enough life in the area. There was enough theming existing uh, that, you know, it, it just separated itself. It had its own identity and it felt like its own place. Uh, you know, I, I think... For example, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, when it opened, only had Millennium Falcon's Smuggler's Run as the attraction in the area, the, the one anchoring attraction. Uh, and without uh, Rise of the Resistance, what is there to do in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge? Well, there's 
an entire bazaar of Star Wars themed shops. There are several restaurants, some where you sit down, some that are grab and go. There is the lightsaber workshop. Um, there the are Depot. the Droid Depot. I mean, like, even when Star Wars Galaxy's Edge only had the one attraction, it wasn't the only reason to go there. And we've spoken on how attractions are not just rides. Attractions are anything that draw people to a place. So maybe what makes a, a, a land is actually a multitude of attractions under that definition. Things that draw people in that are united under a common theme. Right. Because, like, the lightsaber workshop is a shop. It is a store, a place to buy something. But it's also an experience. It's something to do. It's a, a like, a memorable thing that it, and an attraction, a reason why people are drawn to that space. That's the only place where you can get those lightsabers. It's an attraction. There's uh, the Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities, which is, like, a kind of a higher-end gift shop that sells like more expensive or, or more rare um, pieces of merchandise that you can only get there. That's an attraction. We haven't that, even mentioned Oga's Cantina yet, which right. is its own attraction. Yes, Oga's Cantina, which only you can you can only go in if you have a reservation or you get really lucky <laughs> and is a fully themed bar with drinks and snacks that you can only get inside. And then there's also a really cool droid DJ, DJ Rex, who's an old right. friend of ours. And um, and so, like, that's an attraction. So, it, it yeah, there's only the one ride, but there are so many attractions. And now they have two rides. So, yeah. Now oh, it's, it's just the greatest place on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly one of the greatest. Um, here's an, another interesting case from the Disneyland Resort in California. At California Adventure... Uh, there was a Hollywood-themed area. There continues to be a Hollywood-themed area um, that was anchored by the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, uh, formerly known as the Hollywood Tower Hotel. <laughs> um, it also did have, uh, at the time, uh, Muppet Vision 3D and uh, Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the Rescue, uh, formerly Superstar Limo. Which was uh, Hollywood themed. <laughs> which was Hollywood themed indeed. Uh, as well as the Hyperion Theater theater and the Animation Academy. So like it's a, a, quite a dense like area uh, in terms of things that were on offer in the DCA 1.5 era. Right. Uh, however. Mike and Sully to the rescue does not on its own make a Monsters Inc. land. Uh, Muppet Vision 3D does not on its own make a Muppet land and the Hollywood Tower Hotel eventually became uh, Guardians of the Galaxy mission colon breakout exclamation point and Guardians of the Galaxy on its own in the corner there did not in and of itself make a Marvel superheroes land but now we have Avengers Campus which is a Marvel, so, su Marvel superhero land. <laughs> but it it's interesting that it kind of like grew inorganically in reverse to include an attraction that was already there. Do you get what I'm getting at? I do. It, yes. Because because we might say, oh, Avengers Campus, it opened with one attraction, Spider-Man Web Slingers. 
And then it only qualifies as a land kind of on a technicality because it at least also has like the Doctor Strange show and then the superheroes walking around and like the the test kitchen. And there's kind of enough going on there and enough identity to call it a land. But no, there are two attractions there. One of them is Guardians of the Galaxy. It might feel a bit like a classic at this point, but it was integrated story wise into Avengers Campus. Mm -hmm. So it's all kind of coming together, but like in reverse of the usual. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's interesting. That is a like a an interesting like moment for uh for California Adventure, a park that we adore and has long struggled with its identity <laughs> in general. Yeah. Um, for it to go ahead and build an Avengers themed ride or something, you know, a, a MCU ride that then they go you know what let's just go let's just do it let's just do let's the just do a thing. land we'll just, do, just a do a land. whole land about it and <laughs> yeah and then they they build it in a in a, in the only spot in the park where you can connect it to uh guardians of the galaxy um and that's by tearing out bugs land which is also funny because then they went ahead and themed the whole rest of the park after pixar like like half <laughs> By t they tore out a Bugs Land, they put in Monsters, Inc. in Hollywood, but then they themed the whole pier after all the other Pixar rides or uh, Pixar movies. And so everything else at Pixar is over there in Pixar Pier, except for Monsters, Inc., which is hanging out in Hollywood. Um, because California Adventure is still struggling with its identity <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> but they have they have definitely um, improved uh, as far as um having clearer defined uh goals and ideas and and areas that they are that they are trying to achieve yeah i think it's definitely a unique case and i only brought it up because i think having mission breakout there before the rest of the land and kind of still having it be counted like part of hollywood land for lack of a better term um was like such a moment where here was a land that still kind of could be said to exist uh to have uh, an anchor attraction and several additional attractions but that was so ill-defined so as to lose a lot of its identity and then to kind of have the identity shift into a new orientation based on the construction of a whole new themed land and have that kind of work out but i still hear people saying like well avengers campus should just be that side of the park get rid of hollywood altogether and i don't necessarily disagree actually like let's go for it yeah. um because that feels like it would be more cohesive like it would make more sense they would just have know. to move monsters inc again because really it's <laughs> it's really in the wrong spot <laughs> yeah yeah well the, the hollywood superstar limo thing <laughs> It's just that's a saga for a different time. And honestly, the history of California Adventure and its long transition into its current place, not to mention whatever it might become in the future, is worth other episodes of this yeah. show entirely. California Adventure is actually uh, home to one of the most interesting non lands, but like sub areas at the Disneyland Resort, which is I think it's called paradise gardens right i think so this is the area from uh like the little mermaid to silly symphony swings um 
and it is themed to not a whole lot. Um, it's still kind of DCA 1.0 in a lot of ways. Uh, it still feels a little bit like part of Pixar Pier, but it's still kind of Paradise Pier 1.5. And it, it just doesn't really feel like a land. And that's interesting because the, the park map will tell you that it's a land. Yes, the park map, which we can trust, <laughs> is approved and <in> everything, <laughs> says that that is its own land. It is very oddly and sporadically themed, but it's a land by the strictest definition of... I mean, like, the strictest definition is whether or not the theme park calls it a land, right? <laughs> like, we can we can debate this all day on what is or is not a land, but if the Disneyland map says that's a land, like, who are who we, are to, we argue? to argue? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I think that's interesting because California Adventure is home to so many different themed areas that might not tra- traditionally qualify. I mean, like, the Pacific Wharf, for example doesn't have an anchor attraction it has a lot of fine dining um and it has a bakery tour um but it used to have that tortilla tour it used to have the the tortilla tour where the dog would say maseca Maseca. uh and that was all very good on the other hand i mean it is highly themed there is an aesthetic unity there and it is thresholded on multiple sides apart from other lands so i mean like are you going to sit here and tell me that's not a land? So maybe it's about <laughs> amount of things, not just different kinds of things. But I guess I'd like to return to kind of the episode title to make just one more one more caveat, right? And that is, what is a land? A miserable little pile of secrets. <laughs> I think secrets is the operative word there, not miserable. I think a land feels its best a land is at its most useful when it contains details and secrets and nooks and crannies and other weird little diversions beyond just main attractions when a land has those things that's when it becomes not just a useful way to divide up a theme park so that you can sell different kinds of merchandise that's when it becomes a storytelling vehicle it's when it becomes its own place and when a land arrives at that level and says here I am buy Tomorrowland merchandise buy Adventureland merchandise and you want to because that's one of your favorite places because of how deeply detailed and rich it is. That's, I think, when a land is is truly among the greats. And for me, that means having things that people aren't necessarily even consciously noticing. Having a miserable little pile of secrets that you include you, to truly make it a land. You keep uh, saying miserable little pile of <laughs> secrets. Will you explain what you're doing here? When yeah, you it's say a that? Castlevania reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not that important, but but uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry for making a reference constantly without ever explaining it. It's, um, it's a good, it's a good reference. It's a funny <laughs> reference. I just we keep saying the word miserable. It's not um, miserable. It's, not it's a miserable. joyful little pile of we secrets. We love lands. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I would never buy a Pacific Wharf merchandise no. at California Adventure. I wouldn't buy like a, a hat that says like, meet me down at Pacific Wharf. I would buy Adventureland merchandise. Yeah. I can even see what Adventureland merchandise would look like. I can't picture what a Pacific Wharf would look like um, <laughs> other than just saying Pacific Wharf on it. But, like I can see the, like a, a font that Adventureland would use. I can see the design aesthetic choices that they would make for Adventureland merchandise. Um, yeah. New Orleans Square. Uh, you know, heck, I you know what I really actually want right now is a Mickey's Toontown shirt. Oh, um, that would be awesome. I know. <laughs> so I'm like, actually sitting here begging uh, the Disneyland merchandise team to just put put attraction and uh, land names and logos on stuff and like nothing else. I feel I like just need a shirt that says Pirates of the Caribbean and that like just has the emblem of the the entrance yeah to the queue the only on one it. i could think of that they do that for is um like space mountain i think yeah. in, in space mountain in the exit queue you can there are t-shirts that are just it's the building and it says space mountain on top and that's, that owns and that's it and i want that for for way more attractions but also for yeah for whole lands Give it to like, yeah, give me that Adventureland shirt. Give me that Toontown <laughs> shirt. I want it. Uh, and, and why do we love these places? I think it's because when you're in Adventureland, you can find those little spaces that feel like they're part of a grander story. And when you're in Mickey's Toontown, you can visit the gas station and the fire station and the power plant. And, you know, like there's just so much to do. There are all these little secrets, all these little things that feel when you find them yeah. very personal and very important. Yeah. Little seat sitting areas that you like better than other sitting areas in the park. The wishing well behind the castle at um, in Fantasyland. Yeah. Um, the little weird museum that we found in Universal Studios that one time that had the Scott Pilgrim stuff in it. Which yeah. We had, had no idea was even there, and we were the only ones in the museum at the time. Right. Um, just stumbling upon little, little things, little experiences that become yours. Yeah, and and theme parks are at their best when they are accessible to many people and feel like you are having your own personal experience that others aren't. When they're juggling those two and balancing them really well, I think that's when theme parks are their most alive. Um, yeah. And I think that's what a land really facilitates. Uh, we were talking about the Wizarding World lands at uh, U Universal Orlando specifically. Uh, and how Diagon Alley just feels so dense and so explorable. Um, and Hogsmeade is fine too. <laughs> um, but like Diagon Alley especially has that pile of secrets that I think truly makes a themed land, um, you know, impressive that, yeah. that makes it worth visiting. Um, and okay. So, so to, to kind of wrap it all up here, Alice, uh, here's a theme park that we haven't spoken on yet, uh, that I'd like to run by you and ask if, uh, any of them are lands or if it contains lands and i think you already know what i'm gonna say 
how many so. lands does Knott's Berry Farm contain? <laughs> I, I knew you were going to ask. Under, um, under our current working definition. Under our current working definition. Uh, off the top of my head, no Googling. Because, no Googling. you know, Knott's Berry Farm does label its its area, its themed It areas does, and I think that in, labeling is important. And the map will tell you okay. that there are multiple lands or so, themed areas anyways. <laughs> off the top of my head, yes. you've got Ghost Town. Yeah, Calico uh, Ghost Town. Calico Ghost Town, obviously. Camp Snoopy. Yes. Um, you've got uh oh, uh there is a Mexico themed section. Fiesta Village. Fiesta, Fiesta Village. Village. Yeah. There's Fiesta Village and then there is the um the boardwalk part up at the top with Which um, I believe is known as the Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties? Really? Um mm-hmm. with like Accelerator and the uh Johnny Rockets and stuff up there. Yes. Oh no, it's not the Johnny. The, the Johnny Rockets is further down. The other diner. <laughs> There's like two diners in Knott's Berry Farm. The other one. That's true. That's true. Um, and then. I think where the Johnny Rockets is over there, there's like a plaza right there. Like a there's like a fountain and a plaza. Um, I think that's its own section. Over by the Charles M. Schultz Theater. Yes. I don't yeah. know I don't know what it's called. Um mm. and it's also not very well themed, I don't think, but it's over there. Um I think the um I think that section also includes that simulator or the um shooter ride and the bumper cars that are back yes. there. Um and I think, uh, I think that's it. Okay, so <laughs> I agree with you. I think that is it. Uh, and that's all well and good. I would say that Calico, <laughs> the ghost town itself, is 100% a land. Yes. And if you want to know more about Calico, you can definitely go listen to our episode about what makes Calico so understated and brilliant at the same time. It's one of my favorite lands, one of my favorite places on Earth, really. It's practically its own theme park, but it is within another theme park, so it qualifies as a a land instead of its own park. Uh Um, Other than that, do you think that the other ones are lands? Do they have shared aesthetics? (sighs) Do they have uh, enough density of things to do? And do you feel that they are separated and immersive? The reason I ask is I actually think this is kind of complicated because they kind of are, but also maybe not. I I would say, okay, I would say that Camp Snoopy absolutely has a threshold. There Mm -hmm. is like a like a rock formation you walk under to get into Camp Snoopy. It's where where the cute little um, fountain is with Snoopy and Woodstock on the on the canoe. Yes. There's like a threshold to walk into Camp Snoopy and a big sign that says Camp Snoopy. Um, The rides are and the rides are all whether they're themed or not to each other, I think is less important than like what they're meant to do altogether, which is to be like the baby park for babies. Yeah. Like it is not it's called Camp Snoopy. It's not all summer camp themed like you would want it to be. Um, but I think it's summer camp themed enough and definitely all geared towards the same age group that I think that counts as a land. There's also lots of rock work, foliage, tons of water work. Yeah, it's like really pretty over there. Even just to walk through the rides are all for they all have height maximums. <laughs> like you, <can't, laughs> you cannot go on them if you are too tall. <laughs> it is true. like a little kid park, the little kid so, land. Camp Snoopy is a land. I think so. Okay. I think 
Fiesta Village might also be a land. It is even it is even less themed than Camp Snoopy, but I think they keep the um, the music theme throughout. They keep the color scheme fairly consistent in that area. Um, there's the Revolution Ride. There's the Hat Dance Ride, the Swings Ride, the uh, Boat swing like though there's like four or five like pretty fun attraction they're pretty like standard um like carnival rides but they're all so therefore kind of then they all match each other like a swings and a dragon boat but it's not a dragon it's a pirate ship swings the pirate ship the hat dance and la revolution are not not to mention montezuma's revenge and montezuma's revenge and jaguar Oh, and Jaguar. I love that ride. Um, <laughs> Jaguar. Such a fun, <laughs> such a fun little roller coaster. Yes. And, and, ja- and Jaguar is in a, like a temple. Um, yes. It's definitely supposed to remind you, uh, that whole area is supposed to ri- remind you of Mexico. I think that is also a land. I agree. It, it is, it feels like kind of spread out and it feels almost like they shouldn't all match um or go together but they do i think i and i think fairly fairly successfully um the rest of the park is tricky (laughs) i agree this is where i think it falls apart um the accelerator corner where uh, accelerator is and the little diner next to it and like the midway like the carnival games feel connected they feel attached like um like they all kind of fit like a 50s boardwalk kind of theme um oh and there's um hang times over there too now which also like they kind of as well as coast rider and coast rider which is very funny (laughs) um they all kind of have a similar aesthetic in like their signage um, and again, with the music stays consistent in that area. It's a lot of like Beach Boys um, back there. Um, but it feels even less connected. Like the fir- it's like the further back end of the park you get, the less <laughs> connected everything is. That's funny. I do think of there being kind of a front and back part of Knott's Berry Farm. Well, and yeah. that back half is the tall rides. It's Supreme the- Scream is back there as well. Supreme- oh, yeah oh man i love supreme scream (laughs) um and so like they all match each other but i wouldn't call them themed to each other it's Hmm. just like they like they um like they all met up before going out to make sure their outfits don't match (laughs) like (laughs) but they're not friends (laughs) (laughs) bunch of frenemies that got together at one of their houses before prom to make sure that their dresses didn't look bad in pictures together like (laughs) you know (laughs) <laughs> I agree. And and I think I think that's why I asked you about Knots specifically is Knots is a um it's a bit of a contradiction and it always has been um where there is highly themed dense areas with just a, a great pile of secrets um in each of them mm-hmm. as well as uh more lightly themed areas as well as areas that feel only very vaguely themed. 
That's that back corner with the like, uh, like with a boardwalk. With the shoot, <laughs> the back, the back left corner with the shooter and the bumper cars <laughs> and the Charles M. Schultz Theater, um, which has no theming whatsoever. And yeah, um, it, they just gave up when they got to that part of the park. I think, but like individual pieces of that part of the park are still really good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they've got the nice plaza there, and there's a candy shop over there. This is really good rock candy that I enjoy, and there's like. That's and that's where they'll set up for like, like annual events. That seems yeah. to be kind of like a blank slate space where they can do like events, Christmas yeah. stuff, Halloween stuff. There's a lot of the walkthrough mazes at Scary Farm back there, um, and so it's kind of yeah, kind of almost like they reserve themselves an event space where they were like this this one shall remain blank and it will be a <laughs> canvas for us to work on later. And that that is good. Our affection I, yeah. for Knott's Berry Farm is remarkably deep. Um, <laughs> and we are not here to say Knott's Berry Farm is only half lands. And that's bad. No. But it's interesting that Knott's Berry Farm is kind of only half lands. <laughs> and that otherwise it has kind of vaguely themed facades that kind of unite areas together. Uh, that's cool. I think a land should be deliberate. Uh, I think that a land should be able to just be its own thing. I think Universal Studios Hollywood is a great example of how part of the park can be a land and part of the park isn't. And that's fine. People are willing to make the jump into themed areas and believe them as well as step out of themed areas and be like, okay, what's next to have space in between that is relatively unthemed um and i think california adventure actually speaks to that too you can have cars land be one of the most immersive spots in all of theme parks you can also have the pacific wharf which is just kind of whatever right right uh and have it be kind of an in-between spot um and so i guess at the end of the day what is a land it's collected attractions collected aesthetics uh, and also a pile of secrets that make it come to life. And if you don't feel like you need that in your theme park, well, then you don't need that in your theme park. And you could just have a different kind kind of organization system. Right. There's no right or wrong way to do this. There are simply preferences and different ways to enjoy yourself. Yeah. Well, buddy, it seems that our conversation about lands in theme parks has come to an end. That's right. But as this is an online course in which all of you are enrolled simply by listening, it does mean that this end of the episode portion is when we assign the homework. Oh, yes. Can't forget about the homework. Were you that kid that reminded teachers about the homework? Yeah. At the end of every class. <laughs> well, I had worked hard on it and wanted credit. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want credit for taking this class, just like Buddy, um, your assignment is to talk to us. Tell us about your thoughts on lands. What are your favorite lands? We talk mostly about California theme parks um, just by virtue of who we are. But those of you who live in other parts of the country or the world like tell us about your theme parks and the and lands tell us what you think they do really well or maybe could improve on yeah in our research for this episode we found lists that included lands from all over the world uh, many of which are in tokyo especially tokyo disney sea if you've been there and you think that we are just completely off base about what a land is based on just 
the completely other level of theming that they're doing over there, uh, you can let us know. Um, I'm actually interested in hearing from folks over in Orlando because their Universal Studios parks are extremely land-based, uh, including Islands of Adventure. Um, and I just think that's interesting. Like, over here, that's not really the philosophy. It's only kind of starting to sneak in. Over there, that's how it began. It's always kind of been land-based over there. So I wonder, you know, what that means for your relationship with the parks, um, whether you've been to both or not. So if you have some ideas and things to tell us, please tell us on Twitter. You can find the show at Happy Places Pod. And we are both also on Twitter all the time. All the time. You can find me at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Alice White THP for those happy places. And Alice, if folks really love what we do and want to support this course, as well as all of our other episodes monetarily, where could they do that? Well, you can find information about that on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash those happy places. There are mini-sodes and blog posts and community-based stuff over there. You can go check it out. Uh, and we've recently revamped it, made cool new art <laughs> over there. You can go check it out. Uh, there's only two tiers to choose from. Uh, and you can read all about it. Once again, that website is patreon.com slash those happy places. Now, Alice, I am going to add some music to this episode. And where would you have gotten such music? Well, some of the music is uh, standard Those Happy Places classics. Uh, those come from Kevin McLeod. His website is incompetech.com, and his music is used under a Creative Commons 4.0 attributions license, which simply requires that we say thank you to Kevin at the end of the episode and include details in the show notes. Some of the other music is from artist Halizna CC0. All of their work is under a Creative Commons 1.0 public domain dedication, which means that it does belong to the public domain. And we don't even need to say thank you because it technically belongs to all of us. That said, we're saying thank you to Halizna CC0 because their music is cool and it is worth thanking them for. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of music and music that is cool and we thank for, um, what is that beautiful tune coming up in the background? Is that Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Elvin? It sure is. Uh, special thanks to the California Feet Warmers uh, for this amazing tune. Thank you, Feet Warmers and Phil Elvin. You can find this track and more amazing tracks on their website, CaliforniaFeetWarmers.com. Alice, thank you so much for uh, making this episode with me, uh, waiting a week so that I could have a voice to speak again, and for uh, bringing such excellent commentary to this entire project. Well, you really are the brains behind this podcast. We <laughs> could not do this without you and your dulcet tones. So I'm glad <laughs> that you are back in 100%. Uh, I love doing this show with you, and this has been a really good episode. So thank you, buddy, and thank you everyone for listening. Class dismissed. 